Well, one of the um, one of the TV series that I've enjoyed watching on and off over the years is um, is Ben Fogel's New Lives in the Wild. I don't know whether you've, you've seen some of them. They're kind of survival programs, I, I guess, in a sense, in which in which Fogel meets people who have tried to uh, sought to escape the rat race of modern life for a kind of off-grid life somewhere out in the out in the wild places of the world. So they're about people pitting themselves against nature, sort of carving out an existence in some pretty inhospitable areas of, of wilderness. I think they're quite fascinating programs, actually, and an insight into human nature as well, which is particularly interesting. And I guess I, I enjoy them partly because I've always had a love of wild places myself. I've enjoyed, in a much smaller way, um, uh, spending time in those places, sort of mountaineering or backpacking or wild camping, that kind of thing. And I guess that one of the things that struck me um, from programs like that, New Lives in the Wild, and from probably from my own experience as well, is that spending time in wild places is not simply about survival, but it's about living. Um, people pit themselves against the, the wild forces of nature, not to bring some kind of you know, hasty death upon themselves, but actually to experience life. And, and it seems to me that maybe there's a bit of a metaphor there with, with what John has been trying to show us here in, in chapter 6 of his book. Not, of course, that he's trying to teach us about how to have a new life in the wild. <laughs> he's not doing that. Nothing as temporal as that. But rather, he's showing us how to have eternal life and life to the full in Christ. So Jesus has made this massive claim. Look, back in chapter 35, uh, back in verse 35 of chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's a staggering claim when you think about it. Isn't it? But he's actually, we've seen, he's backed up that claim with massive credentials as he's miraculously fed. Do you remember last week? Miraculously fed 5,000 households on a boy's packed lunch. We, we noted, didn't we, um, that the events of this chapter were taking place at the Feast of Passover as that feast was approaching. That The time when, when Jews would remember God's rescue of them from, from Egypt and the fact that they, uh, he had miraculously fed them in the desert, and that he had promised them a new rescuer to come, a prophet like Moses, as Deuteronomy 18 puts it, a Moses-like Messiah to rescue his people once again. And against that backdrop, Jesus comes and miraculously feeds the people, showing them that he is the one who was promised, and showing them the kind of rescue, the kind of life that he has come to bring. And we saw last week, didn't we? Not rescue from their felt needs. That's not why he's come. He's not come to solve, he hadn't come to solve their political problems or their material problems. No, he's come, verse 27, to bring them the food that endures to eternal life, which he says is himself, the bread of life that satisfies forever. But, but notice, friends, that, that although this chapter begins... Uh, with, with Jesus' miraculous meal, it ends with the very people who had eaten the miracle <laughs> turning away from Jesus in their droves. You notice that? Verse 66. After this, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And what we're going to see this morning is why all these people turned away. What made them leave? And what will stop us 
from making the same mistake. And it's because the real Jesus causes division. There are divided responses to Jesus. We'll we'll see that here. So let's have a look. You can see, uh, if you've been around for this series, you'll see that the passage is actually quite familiar. If you've you've been around for uh, other passages in this section, you'll kind of recognize it. John wants us to see Jesus' origin. In other words, where he's come from, his source, if you like, his identity, who he is. And he wants us to see his mission, what he's come to do. And, and he wants to see, he wants us to see the reaction to Jesus from his listeners, their response. And, and in this passage, John shows us these three things, I think, by structuring the passage around three questions. And they come in response to Jesus' teaching. You can see the first question, look in verse 42. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? So that's a question about his origin, isn't it? Uh, You can see the second question, look in verse 52. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And as we'll see, that's a question about his mission. It's about the cross. And and you can see the third question in verse 60. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And and that question exposes their their reaction to Jesus' teaching. So we're going to have a look at these three questions under three headings, if you like, of origin, mission, and reaction. So have a look at verses 41 to 51 and, and Jesus' origin. Here's, uh, here's verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Now, now of course, uh, uh, Jesus has already been telling them his origin, hasn't he? If you look back, verse 33, uh, the bread of life is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, Jesus says. And verse 35, I am that bread of life. Uh, or he says in verse 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Um, he's going to say it again in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. So where does Jesus come from? What's his origin? Well, his claim, and actually it's the same right the way through the the book, of course, is that as God the Son, he originates in heaven. He's come from God. But some of the Jews, I mean the Jewish leaders in the, in the synagogue, some of them grumble about that. So they, they understand, actually, only too well that this claim of Jesus is a claim to be on a par with God. And, and so they say, uh, verse 42, but how can you have come from God when you came from Joseph and Mary? I mean, we know them. How can you be God's son when you're Joseph's son? You see, they think they know all there is to know about Jesus' origins. But Jesus is insistent, and, and he repeats the, the teaching that he's given earlier in verses 37 to 40 to tell them that accepting that he has come down from heaven depends on them being taught inwardly by God. So have a look at verse 43. Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. In other words, the only ones who will accept who Jesus is and so come to him and so be raised up by him on the last day are those whom the Father has drawn to himself. And, and how does the Father do that? Well, uh, Jesus quotes in verse 45 from Isaiah, from Isaiah 54, verse 13. And they will all be taught 
by God. And, and then he adds, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And it seems very clear in, in quoting uh, Isaiah there that Jesus is saying he's the fulfillment of that. As the only one, verse 46, who has seen the Father and in fact come from the Father. In other words, Jesus is the teacher who is sent by God. And so the one who has to be heard and, and learned from, because it's through that that the Father draws people to himself. And of course, the problem with these Jewish leaders here is that they've refused to listen and learn from Jesus. So they don't come and receive the life that the Son offers them. Do you, do you see? You see what he's saying about his origin here? They are refusing to believe and they're grumbling. How can you say you've come down from heaven when you're the son of Joseph? But Jesus is insisting, I am the bread that came down from heaven, verse 41. And the reason why you don't believe me is because the only people who will believe and so be raised up on the last day are those whom the Father draws to himself. And he draws people by teaching them about him through his word. And he sent me to do that, but you're not listening. You see? It's like, kind of like we saw last week, isn't it? They had their own ideas about what kind of a rescuer they needed and, and the kind of life that they wanted their Messiah to give them. And it wasn't the eternal life that Jesus had come to bring. But nevertheless, Jesus reasserts the fact, uh, 47, 48, that he is the bread of life and, and that it's the one who believes in him who has eternal life. And, and he contrasts the eternal life that he has come to bring as the bread of life with the life that their forefathers had when they ate the manna in the desert. Did, did you spot that, verse 49? Your fathers ate the manna in the desert and they died. In other words, yes, the manna was food from God, but it was, it was temporary food. It was earthly, physical food for the, for the stomach. It didn't prevent them from dying when, when their time was up. But the bread of life that Jesus says is him, the living bread that comes down from heaven, verse 50, well, that's altogether different. Because if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And friends, isn't that glorious? Jesus has come to give eternal life. Not simply a new life in the wild. <laughs> Not your best life now. Not an end to all your problems, your health concerns, your material concerns. But life with God that lasts forever. That's why he's come. Did you notice the passage does raise a bit of a tricky issue? I wonder if you, wonder if you spotted that. It's an issue about why people become Christians. Um, the, the chapter has uh, affirmed already, hasn't it, that people become Christians by coming to Jesus or by believing in Jesus. So verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So to become a Christian, people need to come to Jesus and believe in Jesus. And, and the responsibility there is on us, isn't it, to, to do that? But that's not the only thing we see here, is it? Because we've seen that the ones who will come to Jesus, verse 37, are the ones that the Father has given to me says Jesus, all of them will come to me and never be cast out. And that's because, verse 39, the will of him who sent me, says Jesus, is that I should lose nothing or none 
of all he's given me, but raise them up on the last day. In other words, the Father has given to the Son a people who will come to Jesus and believe in Jesus and so be raised up by Jesus on the last day. And they will do that because the Father has drawn them to himself. For no one can come to me, Jesus says, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And it's those that Jesus will raise up on the last day. And and do you notice the order there? So it's, it's not that God draws those to himself who he already knows will first come to him. It's not that way around. It's the other way around, isn't it? No one is able to come to him unless first God draws them to himself, do you see? And I know that some of us might find that a bit tricky, you know, to think that God had to draw me before I was able to come to him. But friends, it's meant to give us assurance. That's what it's there for. That the assurance that before I even had the slightest interest in him, he was working using people and circumstances to prepare us and bring us to the point of trusting in him. You're a Christian this morning. Well, yes, it's because you've come to Jesus and believed in him. But friend, above that, if you're a Christian this morning, it's ultimately because of God. Because, verse 44, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up on the last day. In other words, God has done it. And friends, because of that, it means we can be absolutely sure that Jesus will raise us up on the last day. Do you see? It's meant to give assurance. So in answer to the question of verse 42, uh, how can he say, I've come down from heaven? Well, Jesus has, has re-established, hasn't he, his, his divine origin. Uh, as he put it in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And, and you notice that even as he's reiterating his, his origin, he's also hinting at his mission, isn't he? End of verse 51, do you spot that? The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So the, the means by which he will come and bring eternal life is by giving his flesh on behalf of the world. And that kicks off the other question, doesn't it, in verse 52, which Jesus responds to in order to tell us, show us his mission. So have a look at verses 52 to 59 and Jesus' mission. And here's the question, look, verse 52, they argue among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, I don't suppose for a minute that they were taking him literally. Okay, they, they know that he's not advocating some weird form of cannibalism or something like that. They know he's speaking metaphorically. But what exactly does he mean? That, that's what they're kind of vigorously disputing among themselves. And Jesus doesn't really say anything to sort of pour oil on troubled waters here, does he? He just, he just continues the metaphor, really. If you have a look at verse 53, you can, you can see that. Um, So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So so what does he mean by that? Well, when he talks about his flesh and his blood, 
he's talking about his death. He's talking about the cross. Um, this, this is not maybe, a, <laughs> it's maybe not a very pleasant um, uh, illustration to put in your heads, but I think we see it a lot on the island, so I'll, I'll stick with it. Imagine you're driving along a country lane, okay, and you see some mangled bits of flesh and a pool of blood in the middle of the road. Right? You know what you're looking at, don't you? Some, some poor animal has met a violent death under the wheels of a car. <laughs> and so when Jesus talks about his flesh and his blood, he's talking about his violent death on, on the cross. And, and to eat his flesh and drink his blood is to trust in his death. Um, if you just glance back to uh, verse 35, you can kind of see the language that he uses there. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. It's the same eating, drinking language, isn't it? And again, he's not speaking literally, is he? He's speaking figuratively. And this helps us to see what he's getting at, doesn't it? To eat his bread means to come to him. To drink his blood means to believe in him. It's, it's a metaphor. It's, it's picture language to speak about us needing to believe, to trust in, in Jesus' death on the cross if we're going to have eternal life. Um, look how he puts it in verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Do you see? If we trust in Jesus' death for us on the cross, we have eternal life. And that's because Jesus is the true food and drink, verse 55. He's the manna in the desert. Uh, the, 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 the manner in the desert that, that was food and drink for the stomach, of course, verse 58. But Jesus is the true spiritual food that gives eternal life. So that if you eat and drink him, if you believe and trust him, verse 56, you abide in him and he in you. In other words, you're united together with him. That's rich teaching, isn't it? Fabulous teaching. Um, Remember, it's the time of Passover. It's the time when they remembered that they'd been rescued by God through the death in their place of a Passover lamb. And here is Jesus at Passover time. The, 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 the uh, uh, saying that through his death comes eternal life as people trust in his death to rescue them and bring them life in him. Forever. It's brilliant, isn't it? We might be wondering then, if this, if this teaching is so rich and fabulous, we might be wondering why this kind of teaching by Jesus leaves people saying, verse 60, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And then turning away from Jesus in their droves. Why would they do that? Surely this is great news, isn't it? Well, yes, friends, it is great news, but it is also hard news, isn't it? And although Jesus states it positively, look in verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day, although he affirms that, that all anyone has to do is just simply trust in Jesus' death on the cross and, and you can have eternal life, he also states the same truth negatively in verse 53, doesn't he? Verse 53, unless you eat his flesh and drink his blood, you have no life in you. In other words, there is no eternal life 
unless we trust in Christ's death on our behalf. Do you see? If we do trust in Christ's death for us, we have eternal life, but there is no eternal life unless we trust in Christ's death. In other words, friends, Jesus' teaching is exclusive. He says to these religious Jews who were trusting in their obedience to the Old Testament law to, to give them eternal life, they're trusting in the wrong thing. And that they need to trust in him and his death soon to come on the cross. And friends, do you know it's the same for us? If we trust in his death, there is life. If we don't trust in his death, there is no life. Your Christian upbringing won't do it. Your baptism won't do it. Living a good life won't do it. None of the world's religions will do it. There is nothing you can trust in to give you life with God forever except Jesus' death in your place on the cross. Nothing else. If you want to be united with him forever and so have life in him forever, you need to come to him and believe in him. For he, as John the Baptist famously pointed out in chapter 1, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, See, friends, the Bible is very clear that we have a problem. (laughs) Um, Humanity is turned away from God. And now we're cut off from him. And he's angry with us because of that. And he's right to be so. And of course, to be cut off from God is to be cut off from life. Because he's the source of life. And friends, this is why only the death of Jesus can bring us life. It's because it was on the cross, as Jesus died, that the punishment for us, turning our backs on God, wanting nothing to do with God, was paid on our behalf as Jesus died the death that should have been ours and paid for our rebellion with his death. And it's that that enables us to be united with him and have life in him simply by trusting in him. And friends, it's glorious, but it's exclusive. And if you're trusting in something else and don't want to give yourself over to Jesus, then that is news that's hard to take. We're kind of straying into point three there, aren't we? So let's have a quick recap. In answer to the first question of verse 42, how can he say, I've come down from heaven? Well, Jesus has reestablished his divine origin. He's the bread of life. He's the living bread who's come down from heaven so that metaphorically, by feeding on him, we can have eternal life. And that's kicked off the second question in verse 52. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? To which Jesus replies by showing us his mission. He's come to die. And that it's through and only through that death in our place on the cross that payment for sin can be made. And so eternal life with God can be ours as as we're united to him. Well, we've seen, you know, uh, haven't we? Jesus' teaching causes yet more grumbling. The, The asking of a third question, look, verse 60. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And this question shows up, that his listeners' very divided response. Jesus is divisive at this point. So have a look at verses 60 to 71 and the people's reaction. And, and notice here, look, that although up until now it's been the Jewish leaders who've been grumbling about Jesus' teaching, look, in verse 60, we're told that many of his disciples are unable to accept what he said. 
as, as, he's, as he's spelt out his, his origin, where he's come from, his mission, that he's come to die, that we can have life, um, it's just too much for them. God coming in human form? The Messiah coming to die? That's, that's scandalous. That's not the kind of rescue I wanted at all. It, it kind of offends their sensibilities, doesn't it? But does that mean that Jesus kind of tones it down to make it a bit more palatable for them? Well, no. Um, Look at what he says in verse 62. What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? In other words, if you don't like the fact that I've come from the Father in order to die, well, you're really going to struggle if you see me going back to the Father after I'm raised. (laughs) And and then he hits the nail on the head, look, in verse, uh, verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. In other words, it takes God's spirit for people to come to him and have life. And how does God's spirit do that? End of verse 63. It's through the words of Jesus. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, says Jesus. So do do, do you get what he's saying? He's saying that we can't get this life by ourselves. Only Jesus' spirit can give us life. And the way his spirit works to give us life is through Jesus' words. That's why Jesus spends so much time teaching. It's actually why we as a local church spend so much of our time with our our noses in the Bible. (laughs) It's because, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 6, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. In other words, it's what the Spirit uses to show us who Jesus is and what he's done and and lead us to to trust in him and and have life in him. And friends, that's why it's so important, isn't it, that we pray and ask for the Spirit to help us as we read his word. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've read and you've read the Bible, you've listened to dozens of sermons, you've been on a Christianity Explored course, you've read a ton of Christian books or whatever it is, and it's still not making sense to you. Well, what Jesus is saying here is that you can't get there by yourself. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are, it doesn't matter how gifted you are, you need the help of God's Spirit to take God's Word and lead you to life in Him. Uh, Jesus says, verse 65, no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So, friend, you need to pray to God, Lord, help me. Please open my eyes by your spirit and through your word, lead me to trust myself to Jesus that I may have life in him. And you know he will. Um. Notice, look, in verse 66, um, there are still people who walk away, and, and even people who had previously appeared to be followers of Jesus. As he, as he spelt out for them his, his origin, his mission, actually, it turns out they were only interested in following Jesus on their terms, not on his terms. So they, they walk away from him. But friends, I want us to notice very carefully what Jesus does here, or, or rather what he doesn't do. Because what he doesn't do is chase after those who reject his words to offer them a different deal instead. Jesus will not be the kind of rescuer they want him to be. We can only come to him on his terms, not on ours. 
And I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I've seen a lot of people over the years who have walked away from Jesus in exactly this way. I, I guess a number of us have. We've seen people who have come along to church or, or a course or people who have grown up in the church or in a Christian family who at one point have, have seemed so keen but have later turned away from Jesus. Maybe it's because of pressure from school or, or university friends. Maybe it's because they've met someone who's, who's not a Christian and they're not willing to put Christ first. Maybe their career has taken over or their struggles with sin have just caused them to give up on the Christian life. They've, they've walked away from Jesus because ultimately they wanted a different kind of Jesus. A Jesus of their choosing. A Jesus who will agree with them and what they want to do. But friends, Jesus will not have it. As, as one commentator put it, what they wanted, he would not give. What he offered, they would not receive. And it's, it's like that with Judas there in verse 70, verse 71, isn't it? You know, you know after all the other disciples walked away, or many of them had walked away, I'm, I'm sure the 12 thought, well, you know, at least we're keen followers. But Jesus knows that even Judas will, will soon walk away from him because he loved money more. And this passage is a warning for all of us, I think, isn't it? That Jesus will not offer us a different gospel, a gospel of our own choosing. He won't do that. So, so then what will stop us from walking away from Jesus? Well, notice how Peter responds on behalf of the twelve. Jesus said to them, verse 67, do you want to walk away as well? To which Peter responds by saying, to whom will we go? In other words, you must be joking, Jesus. We'd be mad to do that because you have the words of eternal life. And we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Do you see? They're not grumbling about Jesus because they wanted a different kind of rescuer. They're thrilled with Jesus because they know who he is, they know the kind of rescuer he is, and they believe him. They believe him about his origin. Uh, verse 69, we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And they believe him about his mission. Verse 68, you have the words of eternal life. You see, they get his origin. They get his mission. And they're trusting him for their eternal salvation and life. They've tasted the living bread. They know that everything they've done, all their sin, all their rebellion against God, all the guilt can only be dealt with by Jesus, that he's the life giver. So where else are they going to go? Who else is going to do that? No, they don't want anything else. They want him. So friends, what about us? Have we understood that Jesus is the bread of life? The one who's come to give us eternal life in him through his death in our place on the cross. Have we understood the uniqueness of what he's done? So that it's only through him that we can have that life. And have we trusted ourselves to that rescuer and his death as our only hope? Well, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we are, we are struck in this passage by the the mixed response of those who hear the Lord Jesus. Um, please may we be those who do not walk away from Jesus with no life from him because we want a different kind of rescuer from the one he is. 
but rather would you please open our eyes that we may see him and be thrilled by him for who he is and what his death has accomplished, that we may have life in him. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.